the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Maniple. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 149. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella. We are covering the latest comic news and comic book reviews from November 16th through November 29th. We have a total of three books to cover, and then later in the episode, we will have our TBU spotlight. So let's just get it straight into the news. Just a couple of things to go over. Uh, First thing is solicitations for... Uh, the upcoming months, specifically for February release, but then trades for March and April of 2015 were released. So first, talking about the trades, several of the, the collected editions are for current and former New 52 ongoing titles, including Volume 6 of Batman, which collects several issues that have not been part of Snyder's larger story arcs in the title, Volume 2 of Harley Quinn, Volume 5 of Justice League, as well as collected editions of Batman Beyond 2.0, Batman 66, and Tiny Titans. But DC is also releasing several other collected editions, including a new Batman Noir edition of The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, a deluxe hardcover edition of which the popular title in black and white. Other offerings... Worthy of note include a special Robin the Boy Wonder hardcover build as collecting some of the best Robin stories of all time in celebration of the 75th anniversary of the character, featuring stories by Bill Finger, Don Cameron, Chuck Dixon, and others. Um, lastly, in April, DC is releasing Superman Batman Michael Turner Gallery Edition and the latest of the Graffiti Design Gallery Edition series. These impressive and very expensive at $125. Collected editions are billed as high-quality Smithsone hardcover books that capture every detail of the art at actual size. They are printed at 200-line screen on a rich, heavy paper stock. Uh The goal of replicating the original art faithfully and in high definition. Uh, This particular volume will collect Superman Batman number 8 through 13. And rounding out the book are numerous covers of Identity Crisis, Justice League of America, and other DC comic titles that help establish Michael Turner as a prominent DC artist. So you can take a look at the entire list of the trades that are coming out over on the website. As far as the actual solicitations for February go, uh, DC announced uh, that uh, Batman 39 sees the penumulant chapter of Batman Endgame with Batman continuing his battle with the Joker while Batman continues his fight with anarchy in the pages of Detective Comics number 39. And Batman number 39, uh, obviously we talked about this last month, but uh, we already know that Damien, the newly revived Damien, wrestles with his identity as a superhero with superpowers and the Amazovirus arc reaches its conclusion in Justice League number 39. Other TBU characters see plenty of action in February, as well as Dick Grayson battling the Fist of Cain in Grayson number 7, Batgirl still fighting an imposter in Batgirl number 39, and Selina Kyle pondering burning Gotham to the ground in Catwoman number 39. In addition to these and other developments, February will see Valentine's Day special issue of Harley Quinn, in addition to the regular Harley Quinn number 15, which sees Harley win a Valentine's Day date with Bruce Wayne at a charity auction, as well as new looks at the new, two, new 52 
two Origins of Batgirl and Poison Ivy in the pages of Secret Origins number 10. Also included in the in the solicitations for February is Deathstroke number five, which will see a fight between Deathstroke, Batman, and Harley Quinn, billed as the most intense, brutal battle in the history of the New 52. Don't know that it'll live up to that billing, but, you know, it is what it is. It's going to have to be pretty brutal to beat the Dick Grayson Batman battle that we saw in the end of uh, Nightwing. Yeah. All right, so those are the solicitations. The entire list of everything that's coming out related to the Batman universe is posted up on the website for you to check out. Moving on to the other small bit of news we have, uh, week two and week three of Convergence has been revealed. Just going over some of the books that we'll be seeing. First off, in week two, Batman Shadow of the Bat, written by Larry Hama. The solicitation reads, a year ago, Batman got trapped in Metropolis when hunting down Azrael. Now he must team with the man that replaced him and see how differently they operate as Batmans. Then we have Catwoman, written by Justin Gray. A year under the dome can change every or can change anyone, even Catwoman. She set aside her life of crime to become the protector of Suicide Slum, but when the dome falls, she will face her greatest challenge, Kingdom Come Batman. So those are are the only two books that are coming out in week two. As far as week three goes, there's also just a couple of titles that are coming out in week three. The first one is Batman and the Outsiders, written by Mark and Draco. After a year under the dome, the Outsiders have gone their separate ways, but when Omak attacks, Batman must find out if they have what it takes to still be a team. And then the other one um, outside of uh, Justice League of America is coming out, but Batman is not part of that. The other one is New Teen Titans, written by Marv Wolfman. Titans together fighting against the might of the Tangent Universe's Doom Patrol. We are reminded why this great greatest this is the greatest Titans team of all. And Nightwing is back part of the Titans in this uh Incarnation. So those are the four titles that are featuring TBU characters. Uh, we still have one week yet to be revealed, which I'm sure will be revealed uh, this coming Tuesday or while you're listening to this this past Tuesday. So be sure to check out the website for the latest details for the last set of books, although there already is a big chunk of TBU books. All right. So with that, we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews. Mm. The very first one we have is Batman and Robin. I could definitely get into the superhero gig. Batman and Robin number 36, Robin Rises Chaos. Writer Peter J. Tomasi, pencil Patrick Gleason, inker Mick Gray, and colors John Kalitz. Now we're on Apocalypse, people. Batman has got Glorious Godfrey in his grips, and he demands to know where his son is and who Calabac is. Godfrey explains that Calabac is Darkseid's son, and he is using Damian Wayne's body and the Chaos Shard to power a weapon that can destroy worlds. The Chaos Cannon, a.k.a. the Death Star. The weapon transfers the life force of other planets to replenish Apocalypse's health. He offers to take Batman to the weapon, but Batman tires of him and knocks him out. As he begins his search, though, his suit detects an alien bacteria inside it, and uh, it begins to weaken his vitals. Batman's allies, meanwhile, try to provide him aid. Unfortunately, they, they run uh, afoul of the lowlies who wish to eat them, as we saw in the previous one. It's basically like we're still in Terminus again. And an altercation results, and they barely escape with their lives. Calabac decides he wants to use the Chaos Cannon to target an inhabited planet to ensure that life force shifts to a apocalypse. He rejects warnings that his father might prefer to have the decision left to him. 
But before he can use the cannon, he warns that an intruder is headed for his position and authorizes full force to deter them. And Batman tears through the pair of demons sent to stop him. His allies find him standing atop a pile um, of a bunch of bodies, still aching for a fight. And they basically, even though he's upset, they all flash their badge like a Power Ranger belt. And... Uh, <laughs> It basically forces him to look at the Robin symbol to snap him out of it, reminding him that um, while he's on Apocalypse for his son's sake, they have come for his. And he accepts that they can help him out, and he warns them that the Chaos Cannon is preparing to fire again, and then leads them in finding Damien. And Calabac is ready to fire the cannon, and he's suddenly attacked by Batman. Uh, Titus locates Damien within the powers uh, within the weapon's power supply. Cyborg attempts to rig the cannon to blow itself up, and then Batman defeats Calabac in battle, which was super easy apparently. Uh, but the Cyborg is given a powerful shock that alerts Batman to the arrival of another threat and. Basically, you see the shadow, and Batman says, Huh, I wondered when you would show up, or about time that you showed up. And uh, next, we have Robin, Devastation. So I don't think we've talked about this particular subject a lot in this because we have the same artists, it, you know, nothing has changed. But I felt like as I was reading that, there certainly were a lot of chaotic moments, very much, you know, towards the namesake of of the actual issue. And I wondered about the artwork. Did you have any favorite moments uh, as you were reading through any favorite panels or pages or anything from this particular issue? I think the the first time the Chaos Cannon was shown and when they say, look, I found Damien, and Damien's kind of just floating mm-hmm. along with all of this other stuff that, you know, is assumingly giving also power to this cannon. That was kind of interesting just to see, you know, Calabac literally does not care what it is. He just cares what it, the power you know that it's giving off power to charge this to bring back dark side so that that was kind of an interesting panel i think the the few panels that we saw the the three robins together mm-hmm. uh those were always great to see you know not necessarily not that they all are robins but you understand what i mean the fact yep. that they're all wearing robin costumes it was also i think it was cool to see in general you know seeing that that was probably one of the coolest things and you know it's i guess it's kind of a cheat but the cover is pretty freaking cool too. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of with Dustin on this one. What you described as the Power Ranger moment, you know, I, I think that that's anytime you have multiple characters. And in this book, we got a lot of them jammed together. Um, so I, I think those are my favorite favorite scenes of the book. But I think overall, the the style for this entire series, yeah. uh, including all all the covers, mm-hmm. have been not only good but remarkably consistent. Um, even little silly stuff like placement of the Robin insignias on the on the chest and things like that mm-hmm. have been consistent across the issues. So he's actually done a, a really, really good job on this. Yeah, I think uh, we just don't talk about his art too much, so I thought I would bring it up. My favorite was the page where the Robins are at the bottom of a pile and Batman's basically going crazy at the top, swinging three people around and, and Cyborg's head is right there saying, I guess it wasn't too hard to find him. And then at the bottom, you just kind of see through Batman's like mind's eye and why he's going so hard. And you see Ra's al Ghul and you see the evil little Damien. And then you see what, which was, what was his name? Um, 
Heretic. Heretic. Yeah, there you go. Heretic. And then Talia, just all these reasons that really encapsulate, I think, his fight. So I thought that was a, uh, a big one. Well, here's an easy, a softball question. Uh, who do you think is appearing in the last page? And uh, what do you think is going to happen now that he's here? Okay, so I don't think it's any doubt in anybody's mind. Mm-hmm. It's dark side. I mean, okay. you don't go to apocalypse and it not dark side. <laughs> it what? Could be, it could be. <laughs> Gra- granny goodness. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. It, it, wearing a dark side costume. Yeah. But, uh, no, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is, you know, moving into December, we've got two issues. We've got Batman and Robin number 37, and then we also have the Robin Rises uh, Alpha. Um, and I think that the thing is that, you know, I'm, it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, kind of separate the story between those two issues because we know it will carry on from one to the next and as it's, as it is an ongoing thing and it's not really, you know, don't pick up the Robin rises one shots and, and suddenly, you know, everything that's going on and maybe there'll be a recap. I'm sure there should, will be something, but I imagine it's directly related to the fact that they're, it's dealing with this story, especially since dark side is featured on the cover. Um, but I think the biggest thing is it'll be interesting to see how they separate the story. But then on top of that, how Batman in his suit that seemingly is breaking down and now is infected by this alien virus. And then you've got the, you know, the three sidekicks helping Batman, how the, how they are. Cause I'm, I'm guessing at this point, cyborg is potentially out of commission, at least for the near future, because he got shocked at the end of the episode. So I'm guessing that I'm just trying to figure out how the four of them are going to take down dark side. And I just, it's, <laughs> I'm having a hard time thinking how it is going to happen without you know some sort of you know crazy thing happening that just you know allows them to get away and then dark side can't follow them i mean i'm assuming that that it's just going to be more an escape like you said because i don't think that when you have justice leagues coming together and they can't stop dark side um i think it's dark side too um i guess the the, the thing i'm kind of looking forward to is if We'll get any clarification on what the new 52 version of Final Crisis. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, Darkseid sent Bruce back in time in, in the old continuity. And, and I wonder if we'll get, I mean, if that event still happened and Darkseid had sent him through time, um, you'd think that they would maybe be some name checking there or at least some conversation to straight out, straighten out what did and didn't happen or if it happened in a shortened timeline or because we know what the five years he couldn't have been gone for as long as he was in the original continuity. So actually, when I realized Darkseid was there, it sounds terrible, but kind of my – since we know that the Damien's coming back and there's not a lot of you know intrigue there per se, I was kind of curious to see if we'd get a, a fleshing out of, of the Final Crisis um, timeline in the universe. Yeah, I think that would be good. Plus, I mean, the first Justice League, I mean, that they were mainly fighting, you know, the Parademons and then Darkseid yeah. was – potentially behind it so i wonder you know what his what he has been up to since then i too think that it's dark side i constantly think about the 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 justice league animated series you know and just how 
basically there is really no equal to dark side i think superman could potentially be the only one that that could go up against him and i just remember that one episode where batman is able to leap and get out of the way of his omega beams and dark side is say what i mean how did that happen so i think it'll be a good matchup but i also feel like it's it may be a little unrealistic to see you know four humans a dog and a cyborg go up against you know this guy that's pretty intense and could destroy any puny human um i, I, I yeah? think it'd be a jailbreak i think it'd be a jailbreak for sure like, yeah just get in get out yeah. yeah i think that honestly i can't see it working out any other way because i just have this feeling that there's going to be some sort of explanation that you know dark side is not going to be able to travel through the boom tube or you know he's not going to have his own boom tubes to travel through or whatever or he's still too weak because he didn't get enough power from everything something's going to happen mm-hmm. but we also have to assume that Damien, something's going to happen to Damien in the process mm-hmm. because we know that he's going to have superpowers. You know, are they going to free him from the sarcophagus and then is he going to instantaneously have superpowers or is that somehow involved? Maybe he gets hit with some sort of, you know, Omega beam from dark side and that's how he gets the powers or, you know, there's a ton of different ways they could go with it. But I'm, I guess I'm just looking forward to seeing how they wrap this up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My uh, last one is uh, just a little bit about Jason Todd, which I know this isn't the Jason Todd book, but I almost wonder if some of that characterization is rubbing off of Batman Eternal because I thought he had some really great moments. He had a couple uh, good quips uh, that, you know, it was my idea and someone said, no, it wasn't. And then he was also the one who came in very similar to what he did with Batgirl. He came in and said something like, oh my gosh, Batman, did you go all Red Lantern? Uh, As if you were shocked and and didn't think. So uh, I don't know. What do you think about Jason Todd in this particular book? Do you think it's just, hey, this is how he is now? Do you think this character rubbed off a little bit on what we've been reading in Eternal because I, I feel like all of us really enjoyed how he was characterized in that book or, you know, is it just, this is him. Nothing I special. Think, I think the thing is with him is that I think we've grown to like the character a little bit more because of how he's been portrayed in Eternal. Mm-hmm. That Now, I don't, I, I think that if this is portraying him in that same light, kudos to Tomasi for doing that. But at the same time, I don't feel as if Red Hood and the Outlaws is, has him in the same mindset. I feel like that book is still out there when it comes to being away from what's happening with the rest of the Batman universe, especially since he is being he ha, he was involved with Batman Eternal and he is involved in this story. I feel like that book should tie a little bit more, but. You know, that book is what it is. As far as this goes, you know, I think it was fine for them to have him be more of that character who maybe is a little bit more snarky, but still gets the job done Mm -hmm. because that's but but then at the same time, like pointing out those like emotional elements, kind of like what he did for Batgirl during Batman Eternal. I think it's kind of interesting because it is showing a different side of Jason Todd that we haven't seen, in my opinion. And I think that I'm welcome to it. I think it's really interesting and it's a different take, but it makes the character a little bit more likable, I guess. I think this, a lot of this goes back to the way we left Jason Todd in the aftermath of death in the family. You know, remember we had those couple of issues in red hood um, 
I don't know if, if you, you read them still or Dustin for that matter, but those couple issues of Red Hood where, you know, after the death in the family when the gas was in and him, him and Bruce kind of went through that, that period when he finally left the Batcave in, in good graces as opposed to bad. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is kind of who he is going to be at the end of all this. I think that since we're unclear of what's going on in Batman and Robin, I think actually and it may be accidental. It makes a lot of sense because I think that what we're seeing in Batman Eternal – the finished product might be here in Batman and Robin, if that makes any sense. We're seeing him kind of lighten up a little bit more in Batman Eternal and be more straight hero. Uh, still with a dark side, still willing to kill people, no doubt about it. Um, but I, I think that if this, if Batman and Robin happens like we think it does, which is after the events of Batman Eternal, I think this almost makes sense as a logical progression for the character. Like like you said, all the good stuff he does for Barbara and all the, the seemingly good he does in Eternal, this should be who he is in a year or so after that storyline. All right. Uh, Batman and Robin number 36. I'm going to give this issue a total of three and a half out of five bed rings. Uh, I'm going to give this one four out of five. I'm going to give Batman some airborne so he doesn't get sick. And I will also give it a 3.5 out of five. All right. And over on the website, Corbin gave it three. So that's going to give Batman and Robin number 36 a total of three and a half out of five bed rings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 33, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Jason Fabick. And as in you, as I said in the last issue, this was the, the the I thought 32 is the last issue for Fabick's art, but this is actually his, in fact, last issue. So the issue starts off with uh, kind of a recap of what happened in the last issue with the explosion. There's many men who have died. Jason Bard is talking about how they have no idea if this was retaliatory, you know, a retaliatory strike by Batman, or if it's it was an accident or something else. But they're entertaining all ideas. They will get to the bottom of it, and they will put to justice anybody who was the cause of it. Uh, Batman tells Julia that uh, there's no time for him to make a statement or anything like that. Instead, uh, they have to get to all the caches before. Uh, before Tommy does, and they need to make sure that they destroy them all, uh, so that Hush cannot do what he did with this this one. Um, so there are seventeen total. So they decide that they're going to team up. Meanwhile, on the the roof of GCPD, we see Jason Bard, who has now turned to drinking. He's not super thrilled with the idea that Hush is basically used the police officers to push the goal that they're doing. Tommy says, uh, you know, I uh, wouldn't get uh, – d- don't get too, too many great ideas in your head because there's no backing out. You're not done. And uh, my men, uh, you, you've got more jobs to do. You need to slow him down because I know he's going to try to get to the other weapons depots. Bard says, you may have noticed, uh, but we don't do such a great job with dealing with him. Hush suggests that he uses a specific guy in the SWAT team because he was working on something that might work. Uh, meanwhile, we see Julia and Batman uh, accessing the first of the many weapon caches. Um, they are about to get in when the police show up and somebody jumps out of the vehicle or not the vehicle. Somebody jumps out of a helicopter and they proceed to smash Batman through a skylight. It turns out, I guess this SWAT officer that hush was talking about, and he has some sort of like foaming goo, kind of what we saw in Batman. Well, not really, but I was thinking it was this, it was very similar to what Batman used on flash and Batman, 
35, but I don't think it's the same thing. But uh, basically, it's it's a hardening agent that shoots out like foam. Batman, you know, loses his cape in the process, but in but at the same time neutralizes the SWAT team. When he gets back to the weapons cache, he finds out that Julia has actually already taken care of it, and they use the fail safe, which is a level unleashes hydrochloric uh, hydrochloric acid all over it to basically destroy everything. Um, they decide to split up. Uh, Batman says, you're going to go here and I'm going to go there. Um, we see the mayor talking to Lucius Fox about how Bruce Wayne might have known, have known about it, but the reality is that they need to make sure that Wayne Enterprises is safe so that there's no problems. Lucius then calls Bruce and Bruce says, don't worry, I'm taking care of it. There's not going to be any more incidents. Um, and he destroys the next one. Uh, we then find out that uh, as Batman's coming out from the sewers of uh, one of the weapons caches, Julia Peth is taking care of another one when all of a sudden she's a push and says, he says, who are you? Next up, face off. A couple different things. Uh, first off, I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, this is going to sound weird, but when I was reading through this issue, I didn't immediately know who was writing this issue. But there was the page where Julia and Batman were in the uh, bat plane and they were flying over Gotham. They're discussing which weapons caches to take. And Batman says, the depot on Cicero is yours. I'll take the one on Harlem Avenue. Each cache is laid out the same way. What's really interesting about that is that immediately when I read those two street names, I thought to myself, huh, that's real strange because those are two major streets in the area that I live in, which those of you who don't know, Kyle Higgins went to the same high school that I went to. And uh, so I happened to, you know, you know, flip back to the, the beginning of the book and notice that Kyle Higgins wrote the script. Cicero and Harlem are both major streets in the suburbs of Chicago. So that was kind of interesting. Not really a question there, just a little, you know, tidbit that I noticed. All right, so the so the major points in this outside of, you know, Batman taking out the caches, which is the majority of this issue, we kind of see what's going to happen with Wayne Enterprises with the mayor coming to Lucius Fox basically saying, "Listen, we uh we we know for a fact that uh Wayne Enterprises was in was involved with Batman Incorporated." Now, what's interesting here is it, it's the way it's worded. It doesn't seem like this is, in fact, the mayor. Although in the next issue, it, it feels like that was the conversation and it was with the mayor. I don't know if this is the mayor. If it's not, I don't know. I have any idea who this person is. But this person basically says, especially if these weapons or their designs can be traced back to Wayne Enterprises, we were involved with Batman Incorporated. At best, we're negligent. At worst, complicit. So – I guess it's not because he says, uh, so what are you using, John? I don't know who this person is supposed to be this person before, but they're basically, I'm guessing it's a lawyer for Wayne. And he's basically saying, listen, you're kind of a, you're in trouble here because you were involved with Batman Incorporated. I thought it was interesting that they actually clarified that, you know, Batman Incorporated didn't, did in fact still happen. So I found that interesting. Honestly, I've got more to talk about the next issue, but did you guys have anything that you would want to talk about from this issue? I think the problem with this issue, not the problem with the issue, like it's bad, but exactly, I think you're nailing it right there. Everything that we would have to talk about would be directly related to what happens next. I mean, a whole lot. I don't tell you could talk about it without spoiling it almost. I mean, that sounds silly, but... Yeah, I guess I, I don't necessarily... I feel like a lot of stuff happened 
with this one on its own. I, I, it was interesting when I was listening to Dustin give the recap how he was talking about Jason Bard not appreciating the GCPD being used. And I just thought to myself, you know, what a pot calling a kettle black because he, in fact, was using the, the GCPD for his own means. And so now that someone else is using it, he's getting all bent out of shape. But I feel like a really big thing is just the the – Get, increases not the just the uh, the development I think of the the Julia Batman relationship and the fact that I mean just the the one part of the page I thought oh he's not going to go for this and then he actually agrees and she ends up helping him out and she's not a hindrance at all she's actually working with him helping him out which you know and and they have uh a good little moment there when they they break open that first cash and and the fact that he trusts her enough to give her you know a place that you know go do this one I'll do this one I just think that that is a really key element in this particular issue that perhaps leads to the other one but I thought it, it almost everything surrounded that particular moment uh, in this one for me yeah and I I think I would agree. Um, for the most part, like, like Ed said, there's a lot of stuff to talk about in the next issue. So let's just get straight into that one. So Batman Eternal, I'm going to give, or this issue, I'm going to give a total of four out of five batterings. Four out of five. I'm going to give 4.5 out of five. I really liked it. And then over on the website, Corbin gave it four and a half as well. So that's going to give Batman Eternal number 33, a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue. Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 34, written by Kyle Higgins yet again, art by Alvaro Martinez. Uh, the issue starts off with uh, Julia kind of taking cover from uh, Hush. Hush is basically saying you're you're much prettier than his usual partners, and you have no mask, but at least I'm sure you have some clever bat nickname. Um, if not, then he's just getting lazy. And then uh, she says, but who said he was my boss? And uh, she shoots him basically with a grapple gun straight through his shoulder. Um, in the process, she gets shot in the side. He cuts the grapple and decides to set off some sort of explosion within the weapons cache, and he leaves. Um, as uh, the the transmitter that is supposed to do it sets uh, goes off, uh, Alfred is back at the Batcave, very upset about this and thinking that it's that uh, something's horrible has happened. Um, we then see Batman say, I'm close, I'm headed there. He gets there, digs through the rubble, and he finds a hole. And at the bottom of the hole is Julia bleeding out. Um, so now we see um, back at Wayne Enterprises at the basically the, the giant Wayne Tower, we see uh, the mayor there this time around along with Jason Bard saying, I thought – you said that nothing was going to happen. There's, there was another explosion last night. You know what needs to happen now, right? And he says, listen, if this is the only thing that has to happen, then it's going to happen. Um, we then see in the Batcave, Julia has uh, had some quick medical uh, assistance from Alfred, and he's patched her up. Um, Bruce is pretty ticked about this when all of a sudden he finds out that there are certain weapons cache has been, there's been a, some sort of sensor that's been tripped. And he says, it's the first one that has, that has been tripped. He, he's, he's he wants me to meet him there. And he, and Alfred's like, how do you know it's him? And he goes, because he's at the Martha Wayne foundation hospital. Um, so Batman heads towards it as he gets there. 
Um, Hush is already inside the cachet and says, listen, I uh, wanted to get comfortable. I needed a good seat for the finale. Game of Thrones seat. Did you agree? Yes, I did. Yes. Uh, He's sitting on top of a throne that he has made out of all of the weapons and gadgets that Batman had in the cachet. Uh, We then see um, that he has a number of explosives set to go off. But in but he decided that it would be boring for him to do that, so he slides what appears to be some sort of bat helmet and goes after Batman with his guns. Um, and they go after each other. Batman throws a batter straight towards his helmet, sticks into the helmet, and uh, Tommy Elliot says, "You know, if I would have known better, I would think that that would be a uh, kill shot." Um, and then says, uh, "You know, this is this is pretty much it." They keep going back and forth. Bruce says, you know, this is basically how it is. He smashes his head into Tommy's and says, there's no way you're sent off the, the explosion. Steps on the uh, detonator, then proceeds to tell him, listen, uh, you're not a puzzle, a secret, a whisper. This is who you really are, Tommy. You're nothing but a little boy crying as he shows him his reflection in the uh, glass of the, of the helmet that he smashed. You're not me and you never could be. Um, so then we see Wayne to be in control of Bruce Wayne. Uh, due to the recent events, uh, they are they are finding themselves in the chief operating functions of Wayne Enterprises have been seized by the federal government, along with all holdings, both foreign and domestic. Uh, for all intents and purposes, Wayne Enterprises is no more. In during this entire press conference, Batman happens to see Hush's jacket sitting nearby. See something inside of the inside pocket. And of course, in the pocket of Hush's jacket, we see an invitation, same exact invitation that uh, Falcone had at the beginning of Batman Eternal, or I guess it was like 12 issues in. It says, you have been cordially invited to partake in the devastation of Gotham City. Jim Gordon falls in precisely two weeks' time. The rest is up to you. So that is basically it. Tommy says, maybe you're right, Bruce. Maybe I'm not you. But right now... Who would want to be? Next up, The Crash. All right, so Batman Eternal number 34. So talk about is the fall of Wayne Enterprises. That's basically one of the two big things that happens in, in this issue. Uh, Wayne Enterprises is now seized by the government because of their involvement with Batman, that they are being linked back to these weapons caches that are blowing up around the city. Obviously, this is what they were talking about at the beginning of Arkham Manor when they said, read issue number 30 to find out exactly how this all happens well really it feels like this is the issue that it all happened it was 34 which happens practically a month later but um do you find i well a couple different small questions to put together for this first one um one do you find it believable that the government would in fact seize wayne enterprises and two do you feel like bruce wayne would have everything riding on only wayne enterprises I feel like they could be indictments handed down. I think that it would take years to ever go through the legal system, though. I mean, you can't. Corporations do bad things all the time. Now, not like this, but there's indictments. There's a legal system. There's you can't just seize control of of a corporation like this. Now, I understand why they need to move the story along, and we don't want to have Batman the litigation. (laughs) You know, I mean, I don't think we want to see that, but. Uh, and I'll forgive the sins to move the story along, but I do I do wish that we had seen these had these seeds planted like five or six five or six issues ago, you know, and seen like uh, 
them trying to fight back a little bit. I, I think just running up the white flag with, with probably the corporate legal team that a company like Wayne Enterprise would have would be a bit premature. I guess we're getting closer to understanding why Bruce Wayne is broke in Arkham Manor now. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, my my gut instinct is to, to think, oh, goodness, is there something else going on with this mayor? Is he somehow in league with somebody? Um, was he one of the dirty people? I can't remember if he was one of the dirty people. Um at the very beginning of Eternal, that talked uh, to Bard and, and um, that crazy, crazy addressed villain. I can't remember. Oh, the Flamingo. Because I remember there was somebody talking with him in the beginning. Uh, so, I mean, is there you know an ulterior motive for him wanting to do this? But at the same time, my goodness, why isn't um, Lucius standing up for, for Bruce and everything? And uh, I don't know. But, but hopefully it's temporary or maybe... Lucius's thought was it's temporary we're going to shut it down until we get this stuff solved and then we'll we'll put it back up but <clears throat> I don't think it's believable that Batman well or Bruce Wayne would put all of his stakes in one little area um because this is this is really what happens this is how you go broke it reminds me of Iron Fist and Rand Industry that's a Marvel title Dustin and Rand Industries and that being destroyed and everything but yeah ooh it's a little nerve-wracking uh just to think that everything his whole livelihood could be in this and so if it's shut down he loses everything and he doesn't have somewhere else to go but and it also seems a, a slight bit strange because with all the charities and stuff that he has and, you know, at one point it, at, at and almost every – at every point during the New 52, it seems like there's always something he's doing in one of the books that's talking about him restoring, doing some sort of restoration project. I'm sure a lot of the money that that uh, goes into stuff like that is coming from Wayne Enterprise. It feels like it would be him and his prizes. Same thing with like the Memorial Huckley, you know, mentioned in this this issue. You know, I feel like there's a ton of charities that you know, if Wayne Enterprises went completely belly up, I don't would be completely broke too. I just don't feel like that would be the complete case. No, it's it's just not. It's it, listen, personal wealth is not always tied to your corporation's wealth. I mean, yes, you would be losing a major hit, but this is what kind of gets me like uh, this is up against Arrow, right? What's going yeah. on there now mm-hmm. is that just because Queen Consolidated went out of business or Wayne Enterprises, it doesn't mean Ollie Queen or Bruce Wayne would be broke. Now, maybe they wouldn't be super Ubers, but they're still not going to have to sell their house. You know, like they probably space station, like, but they, they could probably still buy, you know, I mean, you know, so no, but yeah, that's the thing. It would be separate. Bruce would have thought ahead. He'd have probably have money in Alfred's name or something. Yeah, and it also holdings both foreign and domestic. But for some reason, the federal government has a hold over this corporation. They how they would have control over the foreign elements because that doesn't fall under their jurisdiction. So they, they just wouldn't. I mean, yeah. especially if you have Swiss or even Venezuela banks, which don't really cooperate with the United States. Yeah, right. Them and say, hey, we their money, and their answer would just be, what? No. Yeah. It's, but I think this is the. Um, uh, I hate it when I have to use this expression. It's the comic booking of of legality. Yeah, and I would, and I, and I think that's the only way you could really do this because, again, it's to move the for- story along, which I completely understand. I mean, there is, they don't want it to be this big long situation, and really, it feels like and Bart are kind of talking into just handing over the Lucius control of the company because of this. It feels like that's how they're making this work out and explain how it's happening, which makes sense. But I'm not. I guess I don't understand how somehow happening so quickly. 
handing over the company is going to stop these weapons caches from blowing up, which is what the whole reason this is happening in the first place. That's the problem I have. That's not really your problem. It just it, it comes to, you know into just my mind legality of. But the other big thing is Hush. Now you know when he was first revealed, it was probably about fifteen issues ago um, when he was first revealed that he was the big bad behind everything. And I think at one point, at least within the last 15 issues, we kind of talked about the fact that, you know, is Hush really the big bad of the entire overall series? And at this point, it's obvious that he's not because he had an invitation just like Falcone Mm -hmm. towards the beginning. So he's clearly not the person, the giant mastermind behind everything. Now, if you remember when Hush was introduced back during Batman Hush, he was not the mastermind behind everything either. Um, so in some ways, it's kind of like a homage to that where, you know, again, he's just another pawn in, in the midst of everything. But I feel like, I guess, two questions. One, do you feel like it is completely believable at this point that after all of these things that have been happening, that Hush has been, you know, basically heading up with Hush heading up the, you know, the the C-list villain with Clue Master and his little gang of guys and uh, him, you know, basically all the Alfred. Do you really feel like it was that believable that he's that Batman in this issue? Number one. And number two, who do you feel at this point is the big bad? I'll just throw up my prediction for big bad first. At this point, we're going to be seeing the quarrels come up next. And I feel like a couple things. One, we had that bat Thanksgiving issue and there was an owl. And that's one of the few things that has still not been shown in Batman Eternal. So I don't know that the bad behind everything, but I feel like if anybody's moving this all, it would be him. Or in fact, it could be Bruce's brother. Or, you know, as, you know, Lincoln March, you know, mm-hmm. something like that, because we haven't seen him since the Corval storyline. And I feel like a lot of these different elements that we've seen since the beginning of the New 52 are all being brought together in the story. So that's my prediction. But what did you guys think of Hush being taken out the way he was? I, the Hush thing for me being taken out. Just, you know, it's a physical fight. And although Hush is a physical character, it's not like he can't fight. His thing has kind of been in the game, you know, the, the mental aspect of it. So the, the, the fight didn't really bother me. I mean, and that being said, I, I didn't think that would be the last fight either because I knew that Eternal was going to go on for a longer period of time. Um, So I wasn't because I didn't feel like it was truly a end of the arc fight, you know. I, I felt like it was more like halftime. Um, being said, who's in it? Court of Owls is a good guess. I mean, you would throw something like the Riddler around. I know we just had zero year, but if it were, then the comparisons to the actual original Hush would be too much. Um, I, mean, I guess with now that we know that the Joker's back, maybe we could see the Joker behind it. Um, I, I'm going to say that my my guess would be that, that the Joker's behind this, and I think it fits in with the 52 way of showing him as more of a Moriarty ultimate bad guy type figure. Um, but I guess I would also especially consider that Snyder is such a big part of this book. And, and we know that the Court of Owls is his invention. I could I could seriously see the Court of Owls with Lincoln March or some combination of those being behind it as well. I think it's too soon and perhaps too much for Joker to, to pop in, especially since I, I think he's at this point in the con just biding his time and waiting to come out in Endgame. Um I would find it super interesting if Jason Bard was actually the the big bad behind it all and he's just pretending to be subservient to Hush but he's actually pulling the strings and no one knows that he's behind it all. I do reflect back to just the first issue actually it wasn't eternal as Batman 25 wasn't it? 
or whatever one that that had you know the flash forward to basically the end of Endgame, and someone's you know Batman's I think pinned to the the Most bat the signal, light, yeah. yeah, and and then someone's talking to him, and he's got glasses and everything, and I think James Junior is too easy of a of a um, of a pick there, and I think he's got other stuff going on, and and this well, it's not may- just that. I feel like James Junior would be he. I, if it would be if it is James Junior, they have not built that character up to be the mastermind behind all of this. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually going to just throw something out there and say that I believe uh, Jason Bard is actually deeper than we all believe him to be, and he's doing some deep undercover stuff. It could be unlikely, but I think that he's pulling the strings. Well, the figure did have glasses. Bard's got glasses. I mean, there's that's a pretty short list, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you take it that the person has to have glasses, and I agree with, with Dustin that Jim Gordon Jr., I can't see him in his incarnation being shown as subservient to Hush, right? Um, maybe, maybe it is, but, but I think I think I guess Hush doesn't know who it is, does he? I'm guessing think, he doesn't. I think he's probably as much in the dark as anybody else was. And you're right; that is a very short list when it comes to characters with the gla- with glasses. At least characters that are have a big enough role. I mean, I can think of a bunch of characters who have glasses, but I don't feel like any of those characters could be the person behind all of this. Um, but that's not to say that the person who's wearing glasses isn't wearing glasses because it's part of their disguise or something. You know, we have no idea. So yeah, but well, don't you think the glasses? This Stella's point. I mean, think about this. What we've seen of, of Snyder and Tinian's writing, for that matter, when they put those kind of clues in there, don't they almost dare us to get it right a lot? Of time? Yeah, especially with what's what we've just seen in Batman this month with Joker being revealed as this Eric Border character and the Eric Border character appeared almost at, over a year ago or well, at this point, it's been over a year, over a year ago in that annual that Snyder did. Um, that Batman annual number two, it, he did have clues in there to show that it was. And when you look back, you're like, oh, maybe I'm an, he, ass. I'm an yeah, idiot. Yeah. Uh, how come I didn't see this? But the thing is, it's it's like misdirection. You're not even connecting the two to even remotely come up with that idea. I mean, you really have to think outside the box to think of things like that to connect them because it just doesn't make any sense. Like, why would this be the case? You know, so. In in general, I think this issue is by far really good. Again, this is it seems like this is the end of the second act, and we're now we're getting into the third act. We've got roughly about fifteen to uh, fifteen to eighteen more issues left. So uh, I feel like this is the end of the second act, and now we're getting into the third act. So if something's happening with the core vowels, I'm sure it's going to happen. We're going to start to see it soon. Um, but if it's somebody else, I'm sure it's going to be revealed. It's, I feel like it's not going to be, and all of a sudden it's the Joker, and then it's like, oh, by the way, this was all setting up Batman Endgame. I don't feel like that at all. So I feel like there's somebody else, and Joker's just taking advantage of the fact that Batman's worn out from everything that's happened during Eternal. But great issue. Um, I'm going to give this issue four and a half out of five. I'm going to go with four out of five, but it's it's really good again after so after a couple bad issues a couple of months about a month ago it's really hit its stride i'm going to agree and say 4.5 out of five all right so batman eternal number 34 gets a total of four and a half out of five batarangs 
that is all of our books. Let's uh, head over to the website and take a look at some of the books that were reviewed over on the website. So we have Batman the Jiroquata Batmanga chapter number 20 reviewed by Joseph. He gave it four and a half out of five. Uh, Injustice Gods Among Us year three chapter reviewed by Joseph. He gave it five. Um, there's a new editorial that is booting up. It's uh, called TBU Elseworld Focus. It's written by a new writer to the website, Eric, going to be focusing on a lot of the Elseworld stories. Uh, the first one that I know is going to be posting very soon is going to be Gotham by Gaslight, so be sure to check that out. Uh, as I mentioned, Corbin reviewed Batman Eternal number 33 and gave it four and a half. Uh, Corbin also reviewed Batman and Robin number 36 and gave it three. Uh, Batman 66, the lost episode number one by Ryan, he gave it three and a half. Half and number 16 by Corbin, he gave two and a half. 12 got two, two out of five by Brian. 36 by Ryan, he gave it a two out of five. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 36, reviewed by Joseph, he gave it three. Teen Titans, number four by Joseph, he gave it two and a half. Justly four, number 36, he gave it five out of five. Uh, Batman the Jiroquata, Batman and number 21, reviewed five. Joseph, he gave it three and a half. Uh, Injustice Gods Among Us, Year 3, Chapter 9, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it 3. Uh, Batman 66, Chapter 48, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it 3.5. Catwoman, Number 36, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it 4. Secret Origins, Number 7, specifically The Huntress Storyline, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it 3. Out of five, and uh, the new 52 features end number 27 through 30, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it three and a half out of five. So, tons of reviews over on the website for you guys to check out. At this point, we're getting all of the Batman Universe books covered, and even said include Batman as well. So, be sure to check all those reviews out on a weekly basis. Uh, that is going to bring us straight into our TBU spotlight for this episode. Uh, so, quick, just running down some of the books that uh, were able to be picked for TBU spotlight. A ton of books Archimander number two, Batgirl 36, Batman 66, The Lost Episode number one, Batman Superman number 16, Batwoman 36, Earth 2 number 28. Earth 2 Worlds End number 5 through 8, Gotham Academy number 2, Gotham by Midnight number 1, Grayson number 4, Harley Quinn number 12, Justice League 36, Justice League 3000 number 11, New Suicide Squad number 4, Red Hood and the Outlaws number 36, Secret Origins number 7, Teen Titans number 4, The New 52, Futures End 30, and World's Finest number 28. ton of books that came out this month that were related to the Batman universe. So we are going to start off with Ed first. I did Red Hood and the Outlaws number 36. This is a very Jason Todd-centric TBU comic cast. Uh, writer Scott Laddell, art by R.V. Silva. And uh, this story kind of opens up with Jason is fighting a bunch of terrorists high on Venom. High on Venom. Um, and we see Starfire checking Roy into a hospital. He's really badly burned. If you've been following Red Hood and the Outlaws, you kind of know what's going on there. Uh, then we see a confrontation between Roy and Ollie Queen, uh, as you know, Roy is, is Ollie's old sidekick. Uh, and then Essence shows up and, and heals Roy from his wound. Um, Essence is from back early in Red Hood and Outlaws. People used to read the training circle. Uh, and we didn't see Starfire engaging in some heavy narcotics use, uh, recreational narcotics, too, um, and willingly. Um, and the whole book kind of closes with Roy and Oliver beginning the start of a long overdue conversation. Um, and I guess I wanted to, to – I have a question for you guys about this book. If the Starfire drug use here – I guess my thought is, do you guys see this as a serious story? Some, and, and with the involvement of, of Ollie Queen and Roy, kind of a – could be an attempted follow-up at 
the Roy Harper drug abuse stories because we know he's a recovering addict. Do you kind of see this as a legitimate follow-up to the to the Roy Harper drug? Do you think this is kind of just a cheap thrill, or do you think this is going to be something with substance behind it? Honestly, I feel like it is sort of – I mean, okay, let me preface this with, you know, we have seen since the beginning of the New 52, Roy go on and on about how he is in AA, and yep. he is, you know, a recovering addict, and Killer Croc is one of his sponsors, and, you know, they've, they have mentioned this throughout the series, so it's not like – it's just something that they have – brought out of nowhere that you know didn't exist they didn't just create this um but at the same time i the first immediate thought was wow they're really you know if they're going a different route this way they're not going to have roy or jason be the one who's the person doing some sort of narcotics or you know some sort of substance abuse um instead they're having starfire do it which is i think is a different take but I get this odd feeling that it is going to end up being just like this weird throwback to, well, you know, this is one way we're going to have Starfire and Roy connect on even a, a, a more of an emotional, you know, level than we've seen because the two of them will be able to say, hey, you know, this stuff's bad and we're good for each other. <laughs> I I thought it was strange when I read it. Um Man, it it uh, it had. A, I don't know if any of you have read Earthsea, uh, but there's just this moment where these people take this weird drug esque thing, and uh, it they they go into sort of this feeling of euphoria, and the more they take, the more they need, and things like that. And as I was watching Starfire, because it seemed like obviously. There is that issue with the burn victim. Well, the burn was Roy, wasn't it? But, um, uh, you know, I felt like she was depressed. I don't really read this book, so it was hard to, you know, like, oh, what's going on? But also, you know, in her drug-induced state, it seemed like she was flashing back to happier times on Tamaran. And so I almost feel like we are going to have her follow this. And then, of course, you've got um, Red Hood with his Venom. And uh, so everyone is taking drugs except for the guy that had major issues with the drugs to begin with. Um, and, and I think it's very ironic. I don't know if uh, Lobdell is going for some humor there to, to make it funny like, haha, look, everyone's got a drug problem but good old Roy. I don't know. Uh, it was certainly interesting, though, to see Starfire strung out on drugs. That's something I never thought I would ever say nor read. Uh, the other thing, it, it, this kind of hard, I, I would just, it, I'm always kind of, I don't know, sensitive. that arrow of, of Green Arrow, of Green Lantern stories with one of them writing it and, you know, the hard traveling hero stuff. I mean, that was some really good stuff. So if Lavdell is trying to do an updated take on it, I just hope he treads carefully. That's all. I shockingly picked Gotham. By Midnight. Uh, Ray Fox was the writer. Ben Templesmith was the artist. And um, if I could, you know, summarize it or or almost encapsulate it with with comparing it to to another book or other books, I would almost say it's almost like <clears throat> Justice League Dark meets uh, Gotham Central. Uh, really, what it is, it's it's a small squad of. Uh, officers, GCPD officers, you've got, you have Jim Corrigan, and you, who was in Constantine, by the way, uh, you have this nine, you've got this uh, Dr. Tar, who almost seems like an Edward Nigma kind of guy, and then you have uh, 
a a detective Drake, and so I think we're all wondering if she is related to um, Tim Drake, but maybe it's just a a coincidence. But right off the bat, you've got this guy that comes in saying he's in internal affairs and he's going to check up on, you know, what these people are doing. So it's basically a ride-along. This guy's following them around, and the main... Uh, I guess scary supernatural thing that is happening is that there are these two children that were kidnapped. They were returned. Hallelujah. Uh, but they're speaking very strangely. And at first I thought they were talking backwards like Zatanna because that one girl kept saying KO. But then everything else seemed mismatched. And uh, Corrigan and Drake go to find a derelict school and we see that uh, basically all these little kids or at least their spirits are there with some intense nuns. Uh, so really it's, and it's funny, just this following this uh, internal affairs guy around and he's totally out of his element and he wants to write up Corrigan for everything he does and Corrigan's basically shrugging it off because this guy has no idea. But it's basically a group of cops or at least like law enforcement people, the nun, maybe, maybe not so much. But dealing with supernatural forces that may or may not have to do with Batman. And I almost got a sense of it being similar to Gotham Academy where Batman doesn't really play a big role, but he may make an appearance or two like he did in this in this particular one. And I am actually super surprised by how – well, maybe I should say that for why I picked it. But I, I am really shocked by how much I like this because this was one of the titles that I thought, oh, I'm not really a big fan of Ray Fox. Could be, he's got Supernatural. I'm confused by what he does with the Supernatural and Eternal. But I actually thought this was really great, and this is something that I wanted to see – not necessarily with the supernatural, but to see just like a group of cops or just a group that, you know, is is on the street and, and getting that, you know, solving crimes and things like that. So but this is a twist on that. And uh, uh, if we're doing discussion questions, what do you guys think of the art? Because super different. It almost reminded me of Chew which is an image comic, um, kind of had that aspect in it. But just, I don't know, it really got the supernatural, I think, with it. I, I really liked the art. So what do you guys think about that? Well, I'm going to probably take your question a step further. I think the the be- you described it the best way possible when you said taking Gotham Central and mixing it with Justice League Dark because it, it, that's exactly the feel I got from it. But um, as far as the art goes, this would you would expect it normally not to be my cup of tea. But mm-hmm. given the type of story that it is, I think it fits perfectly. I think that the the art is you know it's scratchy, it's kind of creepy, and that's the that's the feeling you're supposed to get from this story. So I think as far as the art goes, they linked up the perfect artist to do this art for this story. But just speaking as on this story as a whole, I also have never really been a fan of the supernatural stuff, you know, never really cared for, you know, the magic elements and things like that. Um, I when Constantine uh, started airing on TV about a month ago, I was like, OK, I'll give it a shot because it's a DC show and I, you know, I, I they tend to do a decent job with these. So let's see what happens. So. I started watching it and I'm actually getting into it. I, I, I've started to enjoy it a lot. And then this book came along uh, this past week and I read it and I was like, wow, this is actually really interesting. I am, you know, really into what's going on in here because I think, you know, it's one thing in some ways it reminds me of uh, 
this is I mean, this is going way, way back to the very beginning of not just the comic cast, but uh, the Batman Universe podcast where we used to actually review books. And one of the books that we covered back then was a book called Simon Dark. Uh, it was written by Steve Niles, and it was about this character who was set in Gotham, dealt with the supernatural elements within Gotham. Batman kind of just let him be and let him deal with the stuff on his own and didn't really interfere or anything like that because Batman really didn't have the abilities to take care of the supernatural stuff. The book didn't last very long. It lasted, I think, like maybe a year and a, and a couple months, um, like 13 or 14 issues or something like that. And then it got canceled. But the book had an interesting twist. And I think the way they set everything up where you know, they're explaining who everybody is. They're explaining how everything works. It works perfectly with the fact that they bring in this IA guy and he's basically asking questions about – how this all works and things like that. It's a really smart way of introducing every, you know, every all the reader to everything that's going on and how everything works. So I was actually pleasantly surprised by this, and uh, I was hesitant initially when it was first announced. This is probably going to be another really good addition to that universe. Um, I do read this. Super. I have all of the Hellblazer run. I read American Vampire. Like dark. I, I will say this about the art. Uh, this is going to be a long-winded way to give Stella an answer. Um, when I opened the first page, I thought I really don't like this art. I think it's awful. And then I got. To, I really, I did. Because I, it's not my style. It's it's like Dustin. You know, I, I enjoy that house style in a way, right? I'm like, this is terrible. And then by the eighth page, I'm like, you know, this isn't my type of art, but it's okay with the story. And by the time I got to the last scene with the kids in the desk, I'm like, no, no, really, okay, they did it. This is the right art style for this book. Um, I started out not liking it, and again, I don't, I wouldn't want to see this in uh, Detective, you know. But I think it works very well for the story, and I think the fact that, uh, and this isn't any anything to Mister Tipple Smith, who's an able artist. Uh, I just, I, I don't like the style, but I think it fits this book pretty well. Um, and I do like the idea of having this, uh, this character in Gotham. My only regret about this book. And I think it's fine, by the way. I think it's good, and I'm, and I'm actually going to keep reading it. My only regret about this book is this is kind of doing what I had originally hoped and long since quit hoping that Batwoman was going to do, which was be the supernatural part of Batman's world. Um, and I think that – I think at some point that was the idea because they even – I mean in Batwoman, they even involved the characters, you know, the you know some of the GCPD and with Maggie Sawyer as a supporting character for, in the series and things like that. I think to a degree they did it, but I think that they just decided to go in a completely different direction. Because honestly, I thought the whole intent was that Batwoman was going to be the character who is like the member of the Bat family who dealt with this stuff. Because of you know everything that's you know everything we we read in the Batwoman series, <laughs> I felt like that was the direction they were going with you know uh, all the different creatures she dealt with initially, you know all that different stuff you know the weeping, uh, the Bloody Mary and the Weeping Widow and all these characters. I thought that that's what they were doing, but it just it felt like I guess they've decided to go in a different direction, and now it seems like I still am trying to figure out how they're going to end up in space. For those of you who are reading, but. We'll know the solicitations, how they're going to end up in space going forward. But yeah, and the, you know, but every time they try to do this, doesn't it kind of like blow up? Like, remember the Dark Knight originally was supposed to be supernatural when we went to the New Fifty Two, and that lasted like through Finch's run, and then Batwoman. I don't know. It just now if Gotham by midnight, I don't even know that it lasted through the entire Finch's run. It was like the first couple issues, and then that was it. Yeah, because it was really it was like, oh, this is going to be the edgy, dark supernatural one, and it seems like every time we do one of these Bat 
comics that's more supernatural. We've had uh, a demon comic that kind of tried to play with it for a while with Jason Blood back in the day. You know, mm-hmm. um, they always seem to fall short. So I'd really like to see one. And I think that the help is that we do have a superhero in the book. I mean, Corgan is yeah. great. So w- where we have this issue of if it's just a, a, a Gotham comic, which, I, which was fine, but we do have a superhero in the Spectres who could help carry this for more of the superhero type stuff. So I'm looking forward to this book, and I hope that we get finally a long-run Supernatural comic. And I would be very cool if we would see a lot of guest stars in this comic, a lot of Red Robin, Batwoman being drawn into natural stories we wouldn't normally see them in. And I think that would be a good up too. Yeah, and I, I think it would be a really smart way. And honestly, I will say this. you know, With all the other books that were meant to be Supernatural, honestly, Ray Fox is probably – the one writer amongst the group of uh, of writers that have worked on either Batwoman or Batman the Dark Knight who feel who who has a sense to know what he needs to do with the supernatural element but still keep it interesting um we've seen it now now I will say this Ray Fox did do a lot of those issues that had uh that had Batwing and Spectre in the bottom of Arkham Asylum dealing with that whole situation. And those were some of the issues that were not rated as the, you know, very well. But I think the problem was that because that story was split up so far apart that I think that was the biggest problem was by the time we came back to it, it was like, wow, it's been like 10 issues since the last time we saw these characters. And I feel like this, you know, every month getting one issue, I think it'll work a lot better. But Ray Fox has worked on a number of different projects within the DC Universe and the New 52 that are that, you know, justly dark and the supernatural element and things like he knows what he's doing when it comes to that stuff. So I think he's a good fit for that type of writing within this book. Yes, and if we did have to have Fox leave, I think Jeff Lemire would be good in this too. Yeah. All right. So then my pick for this month is Catwoman number 36. Now, the, 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 I was so thrilled by the fact that it was so much different app we were getting before September. So relieved with the fact one of the books that they were giving direction to, the books that, you know, it was elite status change similar to. To what they did with with Batgirl, um, I almost picked it last month, but I was kind of to see what would have been because I was like, well, you know, first issues, you know, this is so different than what we were getting before. I incited by the fact that it's just I don't want to get good because of the. But this month, basically, in this issue, we see Selena is that only making different families. The gist of it is she has uh, the Falcone children, uh, the Falcone family, I guess, and to to. Have slugs come in, just hitting the streets. So later in the issue, she don't want the actually cousin Elbrus go tell the cops about the drugs. So the the cop sees him, and that Selena's not linked that way. Her deal is still good, but at the same time, she can keep these drugs off the streets. So you can see that she's still working on the side. Bad points. We see a bunch of different things happening in the issue. Um, uh, we Black Mask was the big. The end of uh, 30, we reveal at the five somebody. But the big thing that happened in this issue was we see somebody who is not Selena as Calvin. And as, and as, and as it turns out, um, this new character who is Kelly, maybe believe the Catwoman stopping the things that is going on uh, because the Catwoman are doing it. Um, so basically, uh, Selena says, you need to stay away from me. Um, let's not find out what happens if the two of us meet. But, uh, that this this character is actually the daughter of a different crime boss. Interesting because, again, it's a character, you know, Selena, we find out, was the daughter of a crime boss too. So 
it's interesting how this all works out. So the 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 main thing I wanted to get your guys's take on was uh, one of the things I saw online, and I can't remember exactly who said it, but someone said that of all the titles that uh, are coming out within amongst the bad books, someone said that they felt like this was more like a Vertigo title than anything else that DC's putting out. And I wanted to get your guys' take on if you believe that this does feel like a Vertigo title uh, or if it still feels like, you know, a superhero book featuring Catwoman. Wow. Um, I hadn't really thought about that, but I can certainly see where they're getting it from. Uh, even even the cover layouts are kind of untraditional, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I think that the, it would be tough for me to, to view this as a straight Vertigo book because Catwoman is such an identifiable part of the DC universe. But I can understand that it seems it seems like they're letting the creators kind of go in a dramatically different fashion here than what we've seen traditionally, especially with Catwoman since the New Fifty Two. What I would what, what I think it's a straight Vertigo, but no, but I, it does seem like more of an edgy DC title uh, than before. And I was wondering the same thing that you said, Dustin. Was was I feeling like I was enjoying this book so much because I just dis did not enjoy the last uh, offering so much? But I do think that this is kind of standalone, and I, I do kind of like where it's going. And I think uh, Vertigo, I, I never would have thought about that. I don't read any Vertigo books, but I have read um, several Image books. And and I feel like this is this particular book is just so unafraid to have a really strong female character. And I think that's, you're going to say like, well, duh, still. I mean, that's who Catwoman is. But I think what we saw with the New 52 and then when uh, Nascenti took over was not the Catwoman. I think that we would say, hey, this is, you know, she's a strong character, a strong female character. And I think this is just great because there aren't really any tights going on except for this this false Catwoman that we've got running around. There aren't any tights but I love that we get to see what you know what she's doing with this organization, how she's pulling people together, how she's being this uh, big boss and everything. Um, so I, I guess if we're, I don't know, if it's more of a procedural and uh, like a crime or it's not really spy, but like that sort of thriller, I could totally see it. And of course, in the background, we've got um, Black Mask. It almost feels like alias not the tv series but the one by uh was it ed brubaker did that one i think so, so actually, yeah, yeah. It, it just feels like alias or is it fatale that brubaker also did or velvet or like something like that just where you've got this character and it seems like something that's not necessarily superhero related uh, but you know it's a it's a good story. So I, I think perhaps yes, it does feel like it's Vertigo. If if I knew what it meant to feel like it was Vertigo, but you know it's still Catwoman. So I think we can never really take it away. And of course, I think it's just I think it is exactly like Alias. If you think about it, just this you've got this character and other villains are going to pop up, and she may not necessarily be a superhero anymore, but other people are going to flit in and out of her life while she's trying to get on with business. So I like that, though. I like that this has this sort of feel, and I think now this year is just a wonderful new year, I think, for DC and and one that I can really get on board with of trying new things and and really broadening um, just the, the wealth of what they have in their comics. Well, let me ask you this: is it is it really the is it really DC as a whole, or is it really the Bat books? Well, the Bat book 
books are all I'm reading. That's so, true. Yes, I mean if it's a microcosm of DC, uh, but I mean it it always has to start in one area. So I think if people start seeing, so thanks you know thanks to Mark Doyle for being a great bad editor. So I think if we're able to do this with the bad books and and maybe the rest of the editors start seeing, hey, this is working. Let's start start to do that. Then that could really work. But but yeah, it probably is just the bat books right now. But yeah, but that's my point. I mean, like the reality is the it always seems like the majority of the time we tend to see things trial and error in the bat books before we see them in the other ones. And it tends to be because the bat books in general will, you know, hit a certain average sales number and that, you know, just because it is a bat book. Um, that being said, there I think that you know because the biggest thing is the the thing that reminds me of this the most is uh, Battle for the Cowl happened. They canceled everything except for Batman and Detective. Um, you know, books that were running for at that point twenty years they had canceled, like Robin or Nightwing or Birds of Prey, and they basically re- rebooted all of those books at. You know, brand new shiny number ones or retitled the issues like when it turned into Red Robin or, you know, Nightwing was didn't have a book. But, you know, for the most part, they basically rebooted everything. And and to me, it comes across as that was basically the trial of whether or not the New 52 would succeed. And it seems a lot of times that they they try a lot of different things in the bat books because it's a little bit safer of an area to try stuff. And if it works and it succeeds, then we start to see stuff happen outside of the bat books. Um, And I think that's a great thing. I mean, that, you know, because we're on the front lines of the bat books when it comes to DC Comics, I think a lot of times we're the first ones who are, you know, DC comic readers to really enjoy some of the the new changes that are coming to the entire line of books. So I think it's, yes, like Stella said, it speaks a lot to Mark Doyle and how he was willing to not only, you know, back these ideas, but then go up the rung to the publisher or the co-publishers and Jim Lee and Dan DiDio and say, listen, we can make this work. Let's do this. And, you know, with the new direction of Catwoman and Batgirl and these new books, Arkham Manor, Gotham by Midnight and Gotham Academy, I think this is a great time to be a Batman fan and to be reading these books. I mean, there's only a couple more books that I would really love to have some shakeups and changes to, but they're, I mean, they're getting to be to the point where it's like there's not many books left that you can really change a lot of things to make them better. So I, I appreciate that. Well, the other thing, too, is the, is, the, is the overall feel of the universe, right? Like there's always going to be a couple books that clunk. When you have as many titles as Batman or, or Superman or Green Lantern or whatever, there's always going to be one title that's bad just because that's the, the law of averages, you know? It's true. But But for a long, long time, like – a lot of the you know the secondary books were bad. Yes, like bad, bad. You know, um, I'm just glad to see that when you when you kind of jump off the, the the shelf, you you get something that's a lot higher quality. So the overall tone of what Doyle's done, I mean, someone give that boy a raise or put him on a long term deal. Exactly. All right. So my final question is, Ed, why did you pick Red Hood and the Outlaws 36 as the to- as your top suggestion for this month? Um, I really, this is something I touched on, we talked about it, but I, I super enjoyed and, and still have the originals in my collection of, of the 1970s Green Arrow, Green Lantern crossover stories where they involve Roy's drug use. And I think it was one of the first times that you saw 
comic books really do a serious take on drug use. And if you go back and read them, there is certain 70s cliches in them and some of the fashions and hairstyles are ridiculous. But the story is really, really good. So anytime I see the Roy Harper character especially, and now we're seeing essentially – well, not essentially. You're seeing his girlfriend kind of battling this type of, of, of drug abuse and it, and it kind of parodies or reflects on a story that, that I liked so much and, and was such – influential on me when i when i was younger on on drugs and stuff when i was you know not listening to parents um i I think that i was just curious to see what you guys take was on kind of an updated tale on 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 that on that take okay and Stella, what made you choose gotham by midnight i do have to say i don't think they treated that uh as reverently as as the past one though no, I don't think they did either, and that's. But I, I tell you what, and, and I'll I'll probably do another TBU spotlight on Red Hood in three or four months when this story unwraps. Yeah, so I'm sure everyone was shocked that I did not pick Batgirl or uh, uh, Gotham Academy, and I'm just trying to try new things. And so you, last month I picked Catwoman, which was a completely different uh, pull for me because I wasn't really liking it when we were reading it. And then I decided to give, you know, number 35 a shot because it was a new creative team. And I, I got Arkham Manor. I read that and I thought, oh, that's good. And then I, you know, I read Gotham by Midnight on a whim because I had low expectations for it and I was like I said when I was reviewing just so pleasantly surprised by what it was and I think it's it's been you know I have talked about really wanting a almost a police procedural getting back to you know just what are the cops doing on the ground level apart from uh, the heroes that are running about and this is what you know this is what i got it wasn't 100 percent right because the supernatural element but it's a like i said it's just a twist and i really liked it it just a weird cast of characters i still i want to know what that nun is about uh the dr tar is just oh man he he seems like he's probably an edward nigma-esque kind of guy with ocd or something like that he gets super pumped about stuff and and he probably isn't meant to be but i think the the ia agent is almost like a comedic element just because his, his experience i'm sure he's going to stay on for the duration of the run but just to see him it's totally like a noob looking at all of these supernatural elements and stuff but I loved the art, thought it went so well, and it was just such a, a surprise because, like I said, had negative thoughts about going into it, and it totally was not that. And and I think for anyone that's wanted to give something new a shot, you should pick up, you know, one of these books or Catwoman or Gotham Academy. I think really the the thing for or the motto for DC is just try something new because really, well, I guess you know, bat books. You just I think this is a new era, and you really gotta grasp it all right and the reason i picked catwoman this month was because one of the things i really enjoy is i like thrillers i like crime dramas and things like that and this book is really coming across as a focus on like the underworld of gotham but from selena's perspective um involving you know we still see characters that we're extremely used to seeing when it comes to selena and the crime families and things like that with you know even the appearance of black mask but it's a very different take, and I think it's interesting how even in the you know right away in the second issue, well, it, it even happened last month in last month's issue how there's already another Catwoman out there, and how this character is also tied to the crime families. So I think 
the the main reason I picked it was because it is basically this. It, it's kind of the same thing like Stella you said with uh, Gotham, uh, Gotham by Midnight, where it's basically following the the police and their normal day to day situations, but they're above normal situations. And in this case, it's kind of finding the opposite of that, where it's following the crime families and the you know, and I think it's really interesting. So. That was the main reason. Now, obviously, there was a ton of different books to choose from this month, and there's going to be even more next month because there's holiday issues, there's annuals, Ooh, yeah. all kinds of stuff happening next month. So be sure to head over to the website because we're pretty much getting all of this stuff reviewed every single week uh, for you guys to check out. So be sure to check out the website for all the reviews. Um, with that, that is everything for this episode. Um, we're still looking for news reporters. I'm not sure why nobody's interested in being news reporters. But for some reason, we still have not gotten any anybody interested in, in news reporters for the website. Not sure why. But if you are interested in, doing, in covering some of the news, head over to the website. We're also still looking for the social media ambassador or – you know, person to manage our social media accounts. We had a couple of people express interest, um, but we're still looking. So with that, uh, those are the two things we're specifically looking for. Um, if you are interested in those, head over to the website, find the banner at the bottom of the page that says join TBU, and it'll tell you exactly what to do. In addition to that, be sure to leave your comments on this episode because next month or not next episode in two weeks, we will be taking our, 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 our spotlight will be listener Q and A's. So we had one uh, Q and a from the previous episode that we'll be covering. Uh, but specifically list your questions that you have you'd like us to talk about for the next episode uh, so that we can discuss those in the next episode. Um, we will be taking all of those questions as well as, um, reading your comments and things like that. But if you have any questions about this month's books, you have a spotlight book. Do you feel deserves a call out? If you have something that you are wondering about when it comes to solicitations, any question at all that you can think of that you would like us to discuss, that's the place to do it. Head over to the website, leave your comments in the comments section. In addition to that, Head over to the website for all news and editorials related to the Batman universe. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos, as well as leave reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. With that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.